Hello everyone, welcome to XYZ Podcast. I'm Gary. Today we have uh, Picha Eats. I just came across this uh, social enterprise. I would say it's a social enterprise and uh, we're dealing with food business. Um, well, it, it just so happened that because I was in uh, TEDx in Monash University, perhaps like two or three years back, and I, I, I noticed Kim who was presenting about her business along with uh, other founders as well. And it's very interesting that somehow this food business is not just uh, you know solely serving food, but it's also serving more than just a food business. As also, I, I really like this quote saying that when the moment you, uh, we, the moment when we put the food in front on, on your table, you also put the food on on their table as well. That's really meaningful. So, just to you know briefly introduce uh, Picha Eats is actually a food business that partner with refugees, chefs, to bring delicacies from their homeland. And today we have Min, is actually a community builder from Pichas East. So without further ado, welcome Min. Hello, hi everyone. This is Min Chia from Picha Eats. Hi, good to see you. And actually, I, I'm just curious, like, what is your scope or your position as a community leader? Right, I understand. Um, so yeah, okay, so a lot of people actually ask this question as well, like, so what do you do as a community leader? So essentially, uh, what community means to Picha actually cover a lot of things. Right. So all the way from um, the chef that we are partnering with um, and to the, uh, to the community, to the larger refugee community and also um, with students um, who we really want to share more about social entrepreneurship and also with different stakeholders including um, corporates who see that there is a value that they can contribute maybe more than um, just ordering food. It could also be about um, some of the networks um, that we that we are looking for the refugee families including like healthcare, including education right. and up until um, all the picture heroes that we're having and um, of course that includes the audience on our social media site as well right so so yeah. this community within this there's a lot of mini communities as well yes yes exactly yeah you're right actually um yes there's a lot of mini communities but i would say um my my focus is a lot more on um building community um, among refugees and um, a lot of my time is actually spent on recruiting more uh, refugee chefs to join us right. and to try out to taste their food um, and also on the onboarding process and on the training process as well. Right. It's, it's very yes. interesting. I'm just curious like uh, is Picha Eats a it's not really a non-profit organization, right? It is Correct. a proper business. Correct. Yes. It, it runs yeah. And then it partner with these refugees, uh, families, or chefs. Yeah. So what do we always um, share is uh, essentially Picha is a food business. Um, but at the same time, we we partner with refugee chefs. Um, because we believe that this is one of the ways to be able to sustain um the entire business and also to uh, to allow the refugee community to rebuild and to earn an income through their own capability and their own skill set. Right. Yeah. I believe that in speaking of refugees, we can actually talk a lot when, when it comes to, you know, in, in particularly in Malaysian's context. And I, I'm just, you know, come across like the first question that I really usually um, look up into the website. It says, 
um, well, well, actually, within this question, it doesn't really mention food at the moment. You know, it just come out as a food as an alternative as a business. Um, it says, how can we help parents from the refugee fac- uh, community to be financially stable so that their children can receive education? And and in this case, we we actually don't see you know uh, food is actually part of the picture. But I think it is the the stories comes across because Kim and and her partners talking about volunteering in, uh, you know, refugees uh, right. communities. So, so that's yeah. where food comes in. And then because they found the potential of the, you know, the, the, the talented chef. Yeah. 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 Right. So how did it happen actually is it all started out with education. Um, hence, that's why until today, we always um, have to make sure that once all the chefs start earning money, they should make sure that they are sending the kids to a learning center, a refugee learning center. Um, and we make sure that because we see the values of education, so this has to come with um this has to come together with the income as well. And right now all the chefs that we have, um everyone is sending the kids um schooling age, those with schooling age, then they will be going to school. Right. Um but the schools that we are talking about is not really um, a former school because in Malaysia itself um, besides unable to get a former working opportunity um, going to a former school is also one of the challenges that uh, refugees have in Malaysia um, because of because Malaysia is not a signatory of the UN convention right and yeah. and actually I'm just I, I, when you were talking about education is that um, hands of hope is actually like the the, the, the part we're doing the education is it and then Picha eats as the financial organization to feed the you know partner with the fam- family to create this um, profitable uh, activities uh, okay um so you might see a few names here and there like a few organizations mm. might get a bit confusing but hands of hope started when um Suzanne uh Sui and Kim were two of them were still in universities um, and it was solely uh, a university project where um, it served as a platform. It's, of course, it's still ongoing right now. It served as a platform to connect students who have, um, you know, spare time um, and they also wanted to do something during their uh, off-school time. Right. Um, so that's how they contribute, which is uh, contribute their time in teaching in different learning centers. So... At this point, it's actually still ongoing, which is something that's very great uh, for a student to really go beyond what they already know. So myself, how do I know three of them? Um, and until today, I join as a full-timer. It's also through Hands of Hope. Ah, okay. um, so Hands of Hope itself do organize like uh, concerts, uh, which is kind of like a tradition. Um, that ever since their time that they started, um, Picha, when Picha first started, in fact, it's called Hands of Hope Kitchen. Um, okay. And we see university as a testing ground because um, that's how our environment at that time. So we will share to our friends um, and in university, there's a lot of events. So when there's event, you will need food. And we really see that as an opportunity to do um, a research or do tests and see whether or not the food from refugee community, this idea will be able to work. Right. And, um, and after that, of course, um, it sort of 
passed the test essentially. Um, that's why we decided that okay, now we have passed um the university uh mark. Is it is it time to bring it to company? Is it time to bring it to more corporates? That's why that's when the time we do a lot of cold callings. Um, we do just a cold visit, going into office and and uh tell them you know we have this idea and this is how you can make an impact plus getting your food at the same time. Do mm. you want to try us try us out? Um, and that's how Picha essentially um happened. It's through all testing periods with hands on food. Um, but at this point, we actually don't um directly work together in terms of hands on hope and Picha eats unless um you know sometimes uh anyone from Picha hands on hope they would like to do internship or um or um they see any volunteering opportunity then they want to be part of us um mm. like help out during weekends then we are always welcome. Um, in fact, that's open to anyone. It's right. not just for hands of hope. Yeah. Right. But but I'm just curious. Like hands of hope has been has been around for for quite some time, isn't it? It's since yes. you've been like Suzanne founded it along with her friend, right? Yeah. So so is the their their focus is on educating the the students. Mm. Are are those uh, students mainly refugees from from refugees community or is yes. also from local as well? No, it's mainly um, for a students. mixture. It's a mixture. Um, it was special need uh learning center and refugee learning center. But if I'm not mistaken, um, there's only one special need learning center, and the rest are refugee learning center. Right, and 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 you yeah. did mention about this. Uh, is it pizza kitchen before that, right? It, it, mm. uh, before that, it be before it converts into pizza eats. And I mean, in in this uh, hands of hope, I I'm, I'm just curious. Before it turns into food business, is there any yeah. potential ventures into other things else? For example. Um, by craft or by um, different kind of sector to gain profit instead of food. Correct. Oh, that's a good question. Um, so in fact, in Malaysia itself, there's a lot of people doing handcraft. Right. Um, with yeah. different community. Um, Aura Asli community, um, refugee community, or um, um, I would say underprivileged community. Um, as as a general, um, there's a lot of handcraft. Products out there, mm. and we we think that it's too crowded. It's it's a space where it is too crowded. Um, and the truth is, Malaysians appreciate um handcrafts less than food. The food. <laughs> so yeah, correct. So um, Malaysians are more um open to try our new food. Of course, that was our assumption at that point. Hence, we do the test. Um, but also we we realized that that would be much more of our strength. Um, yes, we might not. We, I mean, we don't know how to cook. Um, but we we can in terms of like building the menu. Um, that's what we think that it will be better for us. Um, to match the strength and to see the opportunity. Mm. Whereas when it comes to handcraft, um, as I mentioned, it is more on the space itself is already pretty crowded and the opportunity is lesser as compared to um selling food mm. and. In terms of the opportunity among the community, which a lot of people are already engaging with those that can make good handcrafts, so essentially, um, they are already working on something. But those who haven't worked on anything yet, that's when it's we started to think ourselves. Oh, is there any more skill set that they mm-hmm. already know? Mm-hmm. Um, and like they sort of even they are already doing. It's just it hasn't been, um, go on to a commercial level. 
uh, which naturally we thought of cooking because they cook every day. And the truth is, uh, especially those from Arabic countries, um, their dishes are usually like very grand. Mm. Um, and it's also interesting in a way where so we do have Arabic restaurants mm. in already. So it's a matter of how can we see potential outside of these restaurants. Um, hence, we have this home cook concept and they are preparing their food from home and we um, handle the rest of the, of the entire you know, food selling business. Mm. And, and speaking of those uh, foreign, foreign cultures or, or food, it's actually not something very peculiar because you're talking about Arabian food or Syrian food or even uh, Pakistanis food. It's not very peculiar, because not, not strange, because I believe in Malaysia or in KL, there's a, already a few, right? Yeah, so, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. So, so, so it's sort of like prove that there is a market, but how big is it at that point? Uh, it is still sort of like a bit of unknown. And, and also, I, I am totally agree with the, the handcraft uh, opportunity or potential because uh, before that, I was uh, you know, working with some other NGO as well. So it's kind of limited when you compare with food because food is rather essential in a way. And, and, and handcraft, you need to have like uh, constant, it's a, it's a fashion. You need to like constantly update kind of thing. Yeah. So it's more of the one rather than the need, whereas uh, the food, of course, it's a need. Mm. And and yeah. and you know before before we we moving on to much more in depth on you know the how does the operation works. Uh, I would like to invite you to talk about refugees, like in Malaysia context, because you did mention about UN nineteen fifty one refugee convention. That is very difficult one because especially Malaysia didn't sign it. Um, so in, in, in Malaysian context, how would you like to uh, describe when a person legally entitled as a refugee and what is the boundary that as, you know, like as a picture, like, like a picture is how can we help or what is the boundary that we cannot cross because it might be illegal to do that, right? Okay. Um, okay. So the truth is if someone hire refugee, or having refugee in your premise to work, it is considered as illegal. Um, so if a police officer come and check, um, they will be brought to detention center mm. and the employer will get fined. And so how does it work out for Picha is um, there are a few things that we we practice, we make sure that we practice so that we won't have we won't get get into any troubles. Um, so the first one is we are not hiring um like they, they they are not like employees right the way we see it is uh we buy food from them and then we resell the food so that's the concept and the second one is uh we are not paying them a salary so it because the concept goes about we buying food from them so essentially this is like a uh just just uh purchasing uh, rather than paying them as a salary and then the third is um, they are not in our premise because um, as mentioned they are cooking from home so um, what we do is arrange a delivery a uh, logistics to go to their house pickup and then send it to our customers mm. so that this is how we go around with it for now and um and but what but i also understand that there are certain companies out there that actually got them as like a part-timer mm. or um, this could be something that will work or like apprentice so example that you run a restaurant um and you are trying to see ways to partner with refugees um you could actually think about having an apprentice program so essentially they are um working but uh, it's more like a training form right that could be something that we can look at um 
and in terms of living actually they are pretty much on themselves um we don't we also don't like provide hostel mm. um, or things like that because um, it's not how we want it to be it's more like uh, we wanted to be able to empower them to earn a living and then they figure out um how do they want to manage in terms of the money on the financial side um of course there are family that struggle to do that mm-hmm. uh, means how much no matter how much they earn um they will spend it all um there is one of the challenges of course getting them to save the money um you know saving the money is not because um it is more like example mco days um mm. everything just got slowed down economy just got bad for some time so saving like at this time will definitely help a lot but also um in this case they can't have a bank card um mm. and why saving gets a little bit harder for them because they'll always have the cash uh and if it has to come to something that cannot do um i would say based on legality wise um we definitely um cannot um in a way like hire right uh, refugee communities um but like i say there are still ways that we can go around um so that essentially we see this as a partnership rather than a hiring program Yeah, and, yeah. And, and based on this convention, technically Malaysia cannot provide them a formal education for the students, right? Correct. So that's where Correct. they have to learn from these uh, schools or different institutes out of the government yeah. school. They, they can't go like SRJKC kind of thing or SRJK, right? And, and also, they, let's say like formal medical check, they also can't a- accept that, is it? So they will count it as a, ref, a foreigner kind of thing. Yes, correct. So when it comes to education, um, they have a lot of, in fact, there's a lot of learning center which is recognized by the government. So how does it work is they do, um, they do register refugee learning center as an alternative learning center, um, but there will not be any support um, given to the schools um, from the government. Right. Um, what they would do is um, they make sure that it's registered and they make sure that um, they run it in, in the proper way um, by terms of teachers, the books, the resources, um, you know, rentals, everything, it's all have to be uh, taken care of by the community themselves. So those um, are the NGOs, is it? Yes. Um, it could be NGO or it could be really from the community. Means right. they will charge the kids uh, a minimal amount of school fees and with that minimal amount, they will work out the rental. Most of the time, their highest priority is the rental and then, then it comes with the utilities. Um, then it comes with the books, um, the physical hardware, tables, chairs, um, very very little or uh, or like only when only when they have extra, then they will think about okay, um, we will pay a teachers to get into the learning center and teach. Which essentially this becomes um to me this becomes one of the problems as well because when you have a school but you don't have a good teacher, hmm. um, it. it It actually means that the kids are going to school not really learning, not having quality education. Um, they might be spending time in school, um, but at at the end of the day, it doesn't contribute to their development. Uh, when this time is supposed to be time that mm. they are learning and absorbing and picking up new things. So, so like because of that, so technically they can't they can't legally work. They can't be legally employed um, or or hired by some company to work, right? And then they can't they can't get a, 
uh, a proper education like like what we you know for from lucky Malaysians they usually do um so so basically they they have do they have like a parcel meaning to say they are refugees they are just here for staying and technically they have to partner up like like picha eats to gain their living isn't it but i'm just curious like most of them where are they located in malaysia like is it in kl okay oh i forgot to mention about healthcare i think you spoke a little bit about it right so uh, just to add on in terms of healthcare um they can still go to hospital not an issue um clinics things like that but they will get charged as a foreigner rate um which unlike malaysians we have a we have a we are we are at quite affordable rate like any malaysian once you go into public hospital um i would say that's that's quite a privilege um whereas for them they will be get charged as a foreigner rate if they can show that they have the UNHCR right right so which go on to the second question um having the card itself um in a way it is saying that um if i'm the refugee and i have the card in a way it is saying that i am protected under international law but not malaysian law right. means um i will get I will get caught in into a detention center, but at the same time, UN can come to me and bail me out, uh, because I have the card and I am protected. Hmm. Um, and also, how does it work? Is when um the how does it work? Is a lot of time. Malaysia is like a transition country, so when they come from different places, um, including Middle Eastern countries, including Myanmar, uh, which ninety percent of the refugees from. Ah, uh, in Malaysia, it's actually from Myanmar. Oh yeah. So when it comes to Malaysia, it is like a transition country, and the reason that they choose Malaysia for Middle Eastern country a lot of times is because of the the familiarity. Mm. So in terms of religion, and we already is a multicultural country, so it is easier in a way for them to um adapt. And whereas for Myanmar, it makes sense because of the location wise, mm. um, it's easy to come into um Malaysia because of, of our border is not as strict, mm. um, as compared to say like Singapore. Mm. Um, so what happens is when it come to this transition country, their goal is usually to get the card, so that they will get um this opportunity to get resettled to a country that recognize refugee mm-hmm. as um. Part of as as one of the citizens, so we do have families that once they have the card for many years, um, it could be ten years, eight years, six years, um, if lucky, okay, maybe two to three years, or like if it's urgent case, then uh, three years, and then they will get resettled to countries like Australia. It used to be US a lot, um, but of course after mm-hmm. that, um, you know, change of presidency, uh, it didn't happen that often anymore, um, and. To US, to Australia, to New Zealand, mm. and and a lot of the time, we understand that um the the process itself takes so long is because we also need to understand that UNHCR is is dealing with a number of a uh, uh, big number of refugees, and we are talking about um um hundred fifty, and if I'm not not wrong, this actually go up to a hundred seventy. Thousand um registered refugee, mm. and it it's, it's really a very big number, and hence the process can take so long for a refugee to go to another country. It also depends on um how many countries are actually opening up their border, mm. and how many quotas are they having for the refugees to come in. Because from what I understand, example like New Zealand, um they do set a quota and it's not very big, um which I think it takes time for. To to really 
anything definitely the public or government to say that okay now we are taking um refugees and we are officially taking them in as, as citizens and there's a lot of resources i believe will be taking into it as well um so that's why this transition the concept of transition country um for refugees is actually something where um for a lot of people they might not know or like that there has been a quite a gray area on things like oh when they are in transition country are they supposed to work um are they supposed to go to school hmm. are they supposed to you know get certain um rights but at the same time um thinking on the other side if they are not going to school and we are talking about like 10 years 8 years um so what what will happen to them like 10 years 8 years not going to school say hmm. like for your 10 year old kids um and if 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 they are if they are unable to work 10 years 8 years what will happen to a family uh yeah so things like that it's it's how say it's quite pretty gray area in malaysia um but i would say things get a little bit better mm-hmm. um a bit more awareness and uh, and so far especially in terms of fichar especially when we try to um, introduce this idea where you know one meal can make a change mm. and if you can If you if we eat three times in a day, um, and eat every single day, is there a chance or a way or one opportunity or like even just one meal that we we choose something different? We choose something that has more impact. So this is what um what essentially we are trying to bring to all our users and all our customers. Well. Mm-hmm. So, but, but because I was thinking about these so-called boundaries, mean like like what what like what Picha did is that you can only partner, so you are not hired, right? You are not working under in in our premise. So right. I mean, I'm I'm just curious, like the diversity of variety, uh, variety, um, variety of yeah. um the jobs that actually provided, you know, for for the partnership with these refugees. Like, is it is it Is it go beyond that, like meaning they can actually go for mechanics, they can actually go for a chef, they may go for other thing else. I'm not sure. Is it apart from Picha? Is there any other programs that partner with them so that to support them for for work? If you ask me, if there's any existing program, I believe it's not a lot. I do yeah. see some businesses here and there. I'm not sure if you know this. Um, Also, a social enterprise called Yellow House. Right. So they recruit underprivileged, which includes refugee as well, to to tour the visitors on on uh, around KL. So it's actually train uh young people to become a tour guide. Uh, of course, you have to be able to speak English. Um, to become a tour guide, and then you bring visitors around, which in a way it's actually quite interesting. Um, because it's also Part of the ways to empower the community. So I I have to say it is really challenging a business to be creative to want to do this. Um. So you have to think creatively. What is the other way? Um, um. That we can go around and see if there's opportunity to include the community. And I'm not I'm not just talking about like refugee mm. actually specifically refugee. So with any other community, it's actually pretty much the same. And to me, I'm pretty sure there are ways to go around, um, and we cannot expect um them to be able to you know come in, I would say one full package. So for example, um those that already have a good basic English skill, um probably they will have challenge in like um uh, um 
talking with customers still, even though they are having the English proficiency. So if like if you ask me if there's a lot of people doing that already, um, no. But if you ask me whether or not businesses, if they want to do that, can they do that? I think it's a yes, definitely. Um, but the business has to think think creatively mm. how that can go around and how that can look like, and um, also in a way it has to come from. Um, the community themselves have to be very aware that um, mm. okay, I, I'm gonna learn more, and I'm I'm ready to learn, and I'm ready to learn even pick up like new things. Um, it's the same as in our pizza chef, so they are very aware that um, knowing how to prepare uh, Middle Eastern dishes is actually not enough because the truth is, um, Malaysians are very greedy when it comes to food. <laughs> they want to eat. Kind of food, hmm. um, and yeah, which which is good and bad because that shows that we are very explore. You know, we we have the explore exploring mindset. Um, but also at the same time, they are aware that uh, it has to they have to keep themselves updated in like what are some of the new dishes that I can learn so that I can add on items in the menu. So yeah, I would say it is coming from both um the community and the business. Um, how can we always make sure that we learn new things to be more creative? Right. I think I think the challenge is not just the external collaboration with the refugees yeah. family. At the same time, the internal collaboration, like the like what Picha eats, uh, did it internally, it has to be sustainable enough to be you know study enough time to ensure that it, it works. Then only you can reach out to other people because if let's say your your business is not you know it's not doing well, how can you ensure to bring a good life to other people as well? Which I think Pizza Eats are doing doing quite quite a great job now, and and now moving forward to you know because you did mention about those chefs they are actually self trained in a way they actually brought their own culture brought their own uh, cuisine and mm. actually and and you know they make their own food and then and then Pizza Eats I I I always see Pizza Eats in a way is like a it's like a middle person. So it helps the the chef to bring the food to the table of the customer, and I'm just curious, like, what was the you know the procedure to so called recruit or collaborate with these chefs? Because you are talking about so far, Pizza Eats has like twenty five partner chefs from Syria, Myanmar, Afghanistan, uh, Palestine, Iraq, Pakistan, which is quite a diverse nationalities here. So I'm just curious about the steps. You know, I mean. I believe that a lot of people like like refugees. If let's say they wanted to, you know, um, sort of like uh, nominate themselves to be the chef. So what 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 would be the steps to be a pizza chef? Okay. Um. Yeah. So of course, when we were starting out, we actually let UNHCR know about this. That was when we were starting phase because they are the only organization that we know actually partner with refugees. And they actually provide us a list of the chef who has attended cooking training before, um. So which is very helpful. That's where we find a lot of our pioneer chefs, uh, who still with us until today. Um, and after that, what happened is with the current chef, they actually help us to spread the word out. Right. Or um, the community that they are in, um, or like their neighbors, things like that, they will start to seeing them. Oh, they are cooking every day. Um, and like what's happening there? You know, sometimes when the delivery person comes to their place, or uh, when the neighbors saw it, then they'll be wondering like, oh, what's this about? 
and that's when they help us to spread the words out and if anyone that's interested they can always approach us right. um, through a new platform most of the time it's Facebook because that's, that's what they are most familiar with right. um, so with, with this and then from there we also slowly uh, add on things like we are building a website so that um, in different language because like you say it's a variety of countries so in that case, um, our communication method also has to come in a few languages. Um, so we have a Arabic translator that work with us. Uh, like he works remotely, so whatever that we need in translation, um, we just send over to him. And uh, we also have a Urdu translator that's for Pakistani families. Mm. And we are we I mean we're still looking for a Persian translator for Afghanistan family. And uh, so what we always do is through, we also we also do sharing in schools. So we know that there are a lot of learning centers around, which um, which is where we will be able to meet a lot more parents. So we do sharing in school. We get help from the uh, person in charge in the learning center to to say, do like a little flyers, let the kids bring back. Um, just a bit like how you know we always bring back flyers for our like parents. an open call. <laughs> yeah, correct. Yeah, so we do the same thing. Um, and then we the parents will know that oh, actually, um, if I can cook and I can come and check out, and then we do a sort of like open day. Um, and then we let everyone know on this day, this time we will be in the school. So if you want to know anything, come and speak to us. Um, we do a short sharing during the open day session to let people know who is featured how you can be part of it and um, if you are part of us, what does it mean um, as, a, as a chef of HRE. And yeah, so, so far that has been um, quite useful. And we, to the point, at one point, we also do give flyers mm. to different um, condominium and flats. Oh, I realized I missed out one question of yours. Where do they locate that? So they're actually quite scattered. Mm. Um, um, hmm. are, are you actually familiar with like KL? Uh, so far okay, okay. Okay, so yeah, like uh, Ampang, Sri Kembangan, Batu Caves, Setapa, places like these are very common. Um, and it's nothing like they are all in one condo, one flat. It's nothing like that. It, it just they will just look around if there's any cheap, um, places. Um, then they will just rent it because at the end of the day, um, they still have to rent the place. Um, using their own money. So location wise, um, most of the time. It's it's really just that anyone that has a cheap rental to them, then it's fine. Um, and what happened is usually um, if within this condo, there will be more than one family um, that's from the same country. Um, because sometimes they will ask um, their community, oh, where do you stay? Oh, it's cheaper. Okay, I'm going to move there. So this is how they interact with each other. Um, and then we will give flyers at the condo. Mm-hmm. So we will just uh, go there and see if there's any potential. Then we will just tell them, oh, this is what we do. Um, and share the news with them. Ask them to share the news with more people as well. And so far, so far it, has been, it has been working. So this is more of the recruitment part. Once we recruited, now we will call them, ask what's their situation like. Um, do they really understand how does our model work? This is not a restaurant, um, but it's more like you have to cook at home and then we sell the food for you. Mm-hmm. Um, if they are good with it, then we will go for food tasting. So food tasting is essentially the first meetup. Um, that's when we will talk and understand more. And if they, we do get families that really don't know any English at all. Um, but if sometimes we will get those that has kids that speak really good English, um, which 
essentially, eventually the kids become um, the translator. And then after the food tasting, if all goes well, um, it will be the onboarding part, which includes um, training, include market tests for the families, and up until um, they start selling. So the entire process usually take a minimum of one and a half months and maximum can go up to three months. It depends on how fast um, the family react to our feedbacks as well. And we are, I would say we are quite flexible in terms of like the period. Um, of course, we try to make it as fast. And we are also trying to see how can we improve, especially when it comes to communication. Yeah. Mm. That's very interesting. I mean, I'm, you know, when we're talking about the open core, it's very, um, you know, in, 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 in architectural, we, I would say it's a very participatory kind of engagement and also approach. So it's not just, you know, like, like shock surgery where you recruit or partner some people. So the, actually there is a two directional working kind of, um, communication. So I'm, I'm because you did mention about open calls and I'm just curious, like what kind of food is it like, is it not limited to dessert or, or soup base or noodles? Anything is welcome, right? I guess. Right. Yeah. It's really anything. Um, first, how does it work in PHR is it has goes back to what do we sell essentially. Um, so we do have mailboxes, we do have like uh, mini buffet and also recently we also have ready to heat meals um, which we will try to taste as many things that they already know because that's where we can um, try to put everything together and curate menu for them. Um, it sometimes gets a bit hard when they only have very limited, they only know very limited number of dishes hmm. um, but which is okay for us as well. Um, because the point is really not to um, recruit those already know how to cook only. Um, it's really to see that those who really need it and they have the right attitude, which is um, they can learn anything. And yeah, and then we go move on from there, which then we will conduct more trainings. And we, we also don't mind like sharing the recipes that we have. Um, just depending on how much they can pick it up. Uh, once it can, then we will include them into like uh, the selling, the active family, which we call, or like the selling family team. Yeah. Right. And and the quality that to be uh, recruited or partnered, they are not just limited to physical skills, like for example, cooking skills, right? right? And also the right. mentality wise, they have to be um, easy to engage, also be optimistic about it. I'm just curious, like, because you were talking about the living condition, like most of them about, you know, the... Um, Pichas chefs are they mostly yeah. parents? Do so basically they do have family, or most of them they are just, uh, you know, a single single chef. Yes, um, usually they have kids, so it's like an entire family. Uh, we only have one who doesn't have kids, but with that with that chef, she also have her entire family with her. Means the mother, the the siblings. Um, they usually come in families. Right. Right. Yeah. So they do have a, it's not just a self-pay loan kind of thing. They actually have a few people to, to afford back behind them. And actually, yeah. uh, you did mention about the food, um, food survey in a way, because you guys are actually so, sort of like to test the food and see is there, is there any potential to market it out and also serve to the public as well. So if you wanted to um, serve it or present it in front of Malaysian's crowd, what was the challenge when, when you present this sort of food when um, it might challenge Malaysian's food palette, right? 
So what was the challenge of it to, you know, it might be, I'm not sure, will it be tweaked a little bit to suit Malaysians' favor in a way? Um, yes. So actually, they even learn dishes like, uh, I'm sure you know, rendang. Right. Uh, they even learn not nasi lemak. So it has to be things that they like as well. So we will try to introduce food as many as we Malaysian dishes. And we especially love like fusion. So example, we will um, have a fusion version of rendang. Um, and we also utilize a lot of their yeah, base ingredients. Um, so we realize that in, in, in Arabic countries, there are a few things that they always use. Example like ham, example like uh, chickpeas, example like beetroot. So we know once we have the base ingredient, then we can play around with a lot of things, which that goes to um, the internal chef that we have. I mean, this is, this is a lot of her time spent on doing R&D. Um, like example, coming up with um, 10 ways of what chickpeas can do because they use chickpeas for hummus. They use chickpeas for um, um, falafel, which is like a fried, fried snacks. Mm-hmm. And um, besides that, what else can we do? And then, we, and then once we have the recipe, test, we tested it ourselves and then we bring it back to the refugee chef family and share with them. Um, somehow it's more like a concept where, oh, see, this is what I have I have come up. And if they really like it, they can also duplicate it into their own menu so that we can uh, push it to customers. So this is how the R&D process look like in Picha, uh, which at the end of the day, it's really to see how can we also have a fusion concept for the products that we have instead of, you know, just Malaysian or just um, the Middle, East, Middle Eastern cuisine. Yeah. How about the ingredients? Do they able to are they able to source it from the original country or Malaysians ingredient will do? Mm. Uh actually most of the time they do go to Arabic market because um also because like I said before, um in Malaysia it is not too rare to have Arabic cuisines mm. because there are Arabic restaurants around us. Um and there are also quite actually quite a big number. Um I'm not talking about refugees, but more like expats. Um, Arabic expat that is in Malaysia itself hence there are a few Arabic markets around um, so that's where they get their ingredients and everything uh, but most of the time I would say the supermarket would have most of the things except things like spices um, so spices will come from the Arabic market then yeah mm. and, and and speaking of food food preparation because I, I do have a very 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 short experience by doing food and in order to serve it safely because you do have a, a certain protocol for example i think like for for chef they have to inject like some vaccine to prepare I, the food right and yeah. and in that case will that be part of the procedure as well to ensure that you know the chef is also using the the, the right ingredients is using a right way ensure that because i i don't think that you also i i think you also wanted to visit their kitchen as well because you don't expect like the dirty kitchen, you know, it might affect the customers as well, right? Alright, yeah. So this is the reason that we do um our our first visit, uh, which is a food tasting. So it is a way, it is also the time where we can check out how's the house condition like. Mm. Um, I would have to admit that there are times where we say that, oh, cannot proceed because of the condition of the house, where right. it could be they are sharing with, they are sharing house with other people and um and other and other um housemates don't allow them to use the kitchen so in that in that case it's it's very hard and uh yeah so this is one of the challenge 
Um, and also when it comes to precaution and making sure that the food is safe, um, yes, you are right. The first thing is the must-have type of injection, which um, Pichar will pay uh, the cost of, of getting the injection. And then the second is they have to attend food handler course, which these are the two basic things that uh, Malaysia government requests uh, from any food handler. Mm-hmm. And same thing, we will be paying for them. And then we also have a hygiene check. So um, in our team, so myself and another uh, colleague, so we both will check kitchens. It's sort of like a spot check concept. So when they have orders, we will just uh, say, okay, hi, I'm from Bichang. We should already know they're quite familiar with uh, the team members. And say, I'm here to check kitchen. And then we will actually give grading, uh, just like how any restaurant works in, in Malaysia. Um, there's ABC grade. Um, so if they happen to have like a, like a C grade, uh, then, then that's when we will also say, you know, we can't proceed this. Because hygiene is the very important thing for us. Um, it's really a priority, no matter how good the dishes are. Um, and also we will get them to do health checkup because health checkup is so one of the uh, important things in case there's any uh, foodborne diseases. Um, so health checkup is an annual thing that we have for every chef. Uh, yeah, so this, this is about it, the, the concepts of how it works. Right. So, and, and most of the chef, they are aware that the, the, the amount of the serving is not limited to five or 10, right? It can be goes up to catering. So, so right. is, that, is that part of the concern that the kitchen must be uh, adequate for, for such preparation? Definitely. So we will also put a capacity to the kitchen. If let's say the houses is uh, smaller uh, as compared to the rest, then there will be a number that we will only quote from that kitchen. Um, so the good, somehow I would say the good thing is if it's a catering and we are the ones that design the menu for the client, then we were able to also adjust the number and tell them, okay, so with this dish, we can do, say, like 100. But mm. I will combine another 100 from a different kitchen. So in a way, there is a variety for the client as well. Um, but I have to see catering somehow slowed down very much because of COVID, you know, no events, mm. um, no gatherings. Um, even when it comes to catering, that's, that's a very heavy process as well. Um, so right now, I would say our focus is a lot more on um, the pet meals, uh, which we have the, the chilled, the frozen meals, and also uh, the ready food that's mm. ready to eat. Yeah. yeah. And apart from that, I also noticed some sauces, right, in, in the jar or kind of thing. It's like a side product, which is actually very interesting. And also, you did mention about this sort of uh, recruitment mix and match. It's not limited to like... Um, because you have li- limited capacity doesn't mean that you can't go far. So you can, right. you know, Picha is a, a sort, sort of like um, putting the puzzles together to, so, so that to, to, to get this win-win condition, I guess. And, uh, and, and speaking of that, because it might be comes to a, a top time that, you know, when a certain dish mm. is famous in, in, within this menu, right? Because I believe that, I think, I think Kim was talking about it um in in bfm or somewhere it's saying that how how does it i'm just curious like how does that um, pichas comes to it to tackle this imbalance because i believe that you also wanted to um tell the other chef that don't be don't be don't give up you will you will get 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 through it and things like that all right yeah so you are saying the imbalance in the income is it for each um it can be that I, i'm just curious but perhaps there might be like incentive from from pichas i'm not sure so that it, it be to ensure that at least you can have the minimum amount, you know, because 
I, I think like for food, because I'm not sure because perhaps the, the ordering, because it's food, right? Then the order must be keeping up pace with the requirement or needs. So it might be comes to a time that the food A, they might have higher sales than food B. So how about yeah. the chef who preparing the food B? Understand. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I would have to say our we 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 really want to be able to build this very transparent relationship with yeah. our chef. So if there comes to cases where the sales are low, um, which is during COVID time, then we mm. will be honest and tell them, you know, um, this is what we are facing now, um, and what we will try to do is we will try to pivot, um, in terms of business. That's how the ready the frozen meals come up actually come from us trying to see. Um, if there's any other product that we can bring it to our consumers mm-hmm. and we also will open up this idea to them um, as in when we try to pivot when we try to come up frozen meals we will just ask them you know do you have any dishes that you want us um, that's from your kitchen and then you want us to put into this frozen meal series and then we can uh, try it out we will put it as an open um, sort of like what you say open call for them um, and then they will just say, okay, um, I have this, I have that, um, give me suggestions out, uh, which is something that we always try to do and always try to encourage because uh, once we once they say, okay, I'm going to try this and then we will proceed it and if it's really good after the testing and everything, um, and yes, we will definitely put it into the menu. Mm. So because essentially we also don't know what they know or don't know. So in a way, um, mm. they, will be, they will have to be the one that's being proactive and we also try to encourage these type of relationships. And also another way is um example say like uh Chef A who who really like there isn't enough sales. So what we do is we will again uh goes back to them and uh try to relook into the, the, the menu and try to understand that um you know why is like what you say, why is certain food doing good and doing mm. not good? Um and in that case if we know that certain dishes are doing good um, it is possible that we will actually get other chefs to learn the same dishes as well. Um, but of course, it comes to the condition where they have to learn it exactly the same. And that's when we can suck out the dish to other chefs. Mm. So that's one way. Um, the other way is try to find out why is it doing well. Um, usually, there must be certain patterns in there. Example, like, um, example, if it's hummus, it could be because it's healthy. Um, and people, in a way, people like healthy dish. So in that case, we will curate a menu that is towards that um, that direction so that the chef will be able to um, see that there is more potential income as well. So yeah, I would say these are the two things that we usually do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's a very healthy way and although at the same time, it's a very realistic market as well because you, you, you as an agent, you can't ensure that this menu can get more received because I, I think you can't also do that like you keep promoting a certain menu without you know neglecting other food as well. So I think there is a, a certain I, I would say again it's a quite quite realistic market and also competitive. But I think in in speaking of Malaysians, I'm just now we are moving on to the final topic. We are talking about how does this works along with Malaysians community. Um, because how about the because you've been uh, the inspiration of coming out Picha eats because of the experience of volunteering in you know with with uh, refugees community and also how to help them or how to empower them, but I'm just um you know um what what interested me as well is that is it possible mm-hmm. to see the potential to 
link these refugees enterprise along with other like Malaysian homeless or single parents? Ah, yeah, actually, definitely. In fact, we have been trying to engage with um PBR flats. Ah, uh, not sure if you know. So Malaysia yeah. government, ah, uh, yeah, cool. So Malaysia government set up a like low cost flat and then PBR community. And in fact, we have done something with them. So with PBR community, it gets a bit different in terms of the model and of course the mindset is very different. Um, how they work is very different as well. So um, with the PPR community, we actually uh, don't do like a home cook concept because the and like to to make it a very realistic is uh, the environment of PPR is usually not very good mm. um, in terms of safety, in terms of hygiene. Um, so it is becoming a concern uh, and we always say that we want to put hygiene at the best first place. Um, it's very hard to do even though the house is very clean but the environment is not. So, but however, if you transport food, you definitely have to like, mm. you know, uh, walk past certain places. Mm. Um, which then, how we sort of overcome it is we actually rent a place nearby them and then we put up a mini centralized kitchen and then they will work there. Because um, with local community, it is actually legal for the parents. So in that case, um, we can find other different ways to go around and it goes back to what I mentioned earlier means that being more creative and really see that what are the things that we can do and cannot do. Uh, but however, that one sort of fail in a way, uh, which is definitely, uh, you know, we, I mean, this is a scale of failure, but to us, that's one of it. Because I would say we didn't really, we didn't really like understand enough of how the community work or like how they think. Um, and uh, I would say a lot of time, they still prefer to do things uh, more like like independently means instead of because they have the opportunity to actually set up a store uh, to sell it any sort of like anywhere they like so in this case um, we were still trying to find ways um, to be able to partner with other community but um, the reason that we start out with refugees I would say is because we are already in the community mm-hmm. and we see that this is a solution that can address the problem that they are facing um, and it definitely doesn't mean that we won't be uh, working with other community or like we only take refugees, things mm. like that. And uh, at this point, specifically at this point, we are also trying to explore with single moms because um, in a way, um, I believe a lot of them also have to stay at home um, because they can't really travel out, which in that case, it will fit more into the model. Um, but yeah, I would say that um, the goal is to really um, review lives and to see food as a way to change the mindset of people and to bring empowerment to the mothers. Um, so as long as you know this mission is there, it, the, the you know the methods, um, it's it's more of secondary. Mm. That's a really impressive move and also noble move that I really look up to not pitch us about because I think it's not just about delivering a food uh, a phys- as a physical nutrition food. Uh, but at the same time, they also train the chef, also the community who takes the food to be as part of the motivation for the people who actually, you know, having a hard time. And actually, speaking of PPR, actually, I do have a little bit of experience because um, oh, back then, we actually wanted to help the some of the families. They wanted to do some cookies, right? But, I see. But it's just that they, they don't have that. I wouldn't say it's whether they are serious or not. It's just that they don't take it seriously because they they already have a husband, you know, who working. 
and you yeah. know like like yeah. a mother who just simply wanted to take it as a hobby and then just make it like a queer right. raya right. kind of thing so yeah. it's it's a part-time thing so it's not as urgent as a single mother or refugees like you know yeah. peach has yeah. been doing so yeah, yeah. there is a certain priorities that I guess uh, as as a, as as a media that I have to have to understand the priority who who should yeah. get the opportunity better I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think you totally get it. Um, uh, like with a lot of other people, sometimes they'll be like, oh, uh, why why do you choose different community? But uh, it goes back to how much the community wants it. If you ask me, um, and why it works better with refugees because the truth is they only have this support um so there's not many alternatives out there and um this is the only way they can work it out whereas mm. with other community probably there's many more other support comes in um with government or with different NGOs so like you say they didn't see it as uh, something where it's very the most helpful thing so in this case um if the community don't see it as the most helpful thing um, with us coming in, um, it, it won't be the best effect when it comes to a partnership. Mm. Because yeah. they, they, they might not wish to put in 100% effort to it. <laughs> I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. But, but because it, it, you, you did mention about how, um, you know, some Malaysians, they might asking like, hey, why, why are you helping refugees, families? How about the other, you know, underprivileged community in Malaysia? Like, or Asli, or single mother, or uh, uh, orphanage, things like that. Yep. Speaking of how Malaysians see refugees, is throughout this movement of pictures, do does Malaysians customer or the eaters they change their mindset? They think, oh, actually, refugees are really good. They are very friendly, and their food is really nice. Yeah, yeah, I think for sure. Um, in fact. We, we, we especially get this during MCO, uh, which a lot of people came to us and say, uh, you know, I've always wanted to support, but I'm not based in KL. Um, and because MCO is a time where we activated uh, Zaza movement quite heavily, mm. means people can uh, put in money, but the food doesn't go back to them. So the food goes to either a frontliner or other community who needs food. And um, the food is still prepared by our pizza chef. So in a way, you are actually directly impacting both at the same time, the ones who receive the food and the ones who prepare the food. So when this, when we launched this, a lot of people um, commented or like feedback and say, okay, you know, finally there is something that I can be part of because I am not in Malaysia. I don't know how to buy food uh, when I'm not in Malaysia. And also there are, there are also feedbacks like, um, you know, um, pizza food it might not be my palate and i cannot buy as frequent so this is where i can chip in um i can also share it with my friends and families who who are not here in malaysia so yeah i would say people are generally generally very open um to different things and even slowly started to understand that um okay um i i can understand more about who is the one that preparing my meals? I pay a little bit more attention to understand that who is the chef that is preparing my meals. And I think, like what you say, it is really a movement, um, not just for pizza, but generally for everyone. Because to me, even like a hawker store food could come with a lot of stories as well, mm. with, with the with the ones with the chef that's cooking at the hawker store. And uh, even like, I don't know, like even factory, if it's a factory-made meal, um, it could also have uh, a lot of stories in that way itself. So the whole point is to really um, sort of reminding people to understand what's on your plate and what's 
in your meal. Um, mm. Is it someone's story? Is it, um, and sometimes the ingredients itself. Um, I mean, that's, that's part of the reason that we do Rethinking Food series on Facebook as mm. well. To, mm-hmm. to not just understand human behind the food, but ingredients behind the food. Right. That's very interesting because I think you did mention about Zaza movement as well. I was so inspired by this uh, this individual and also his uh, little cute ch- uh, kids. Um, but, but sadly, Zaza, you know, he, he was um, passed away. But I'm just curious, do you mind to briefly share what was the Zaza movement about? Is it a, um, like a charity movement or, or like a crowdfunding thing, is it? Okay, um, so Zaza movement works in a way where anyone can can buy food, but the food goes to someone else. Right. So it is like more of like a pay it forward initiative, but at the same time, the food is also cooked by feature chef. So um, so it is uh, actually benefiting both the person who is receiving the food and um, another side, which is also a feature chef who is preparing the food because you're providing livelihood for right, feature chef, okay. you're providing food um, for the ones that who really need it. Right. Yeah. So it's very, it's, yeah, it's very interesting. It sounds like the Famine 30, like the NGO program. So you pay money and then, but you don't want to receive the, take the benefit, but you transfer it to someone else. Right, okay. Mm. Mm, so, okay, so maybe I can share a bit more on like how it happens. The mm. idea. So it happened when Zaza was in hospital. Um, that was when he was really sick. Um, but that's just one day that he got a little bit better, like more alert, things like that. So he was, and it was near to Raya time. And um, you know, in 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 Muslim practice, um, you will actually give out food to, mm. to the poor people, um, and and to him, it is also part of him. Um, he's a very kind person, he's a very generous person, and even though it seems like you know, you might be thinking, okay, you know, refugee already have a lot of challenges, very mm. limited in this and that, but he's still very giving. Um, so he wanted to give out food to those that are um at the mosque and like asking for money. Um, he wanted to give food to these people and he said he wanted to do it with Pichar's name instead of his own name um, because he, he, he also really has a heart to to him Pichar uh, is more than just uh, like a business or like someone who buys mm. his food um, he really has a heart to build the business to us be part of the business to even design menu with us um, so yeah so that is something that we always like, very value and, and and at that time when he said that he wanted to give our food, he, of course we say okay, um it just didn't cross our mind that he will pass away at that point of time. But after he passed away, um we were we were thinking that, you know, uh, what would he like to see um among the families, among the society and we, we remember that, you know, he's he wanted to do this. And that's when we started the Zara movement. Um, except that although he said he doesn't want to do it using his name, but mm. we still put his name. Mm, mm, mm. And yeah, he, he has no choice. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a way to, to, to remind that, um, you know, this man actually can always be very giving and it's really a good value that we want to see um, and a good culture that we believe uh, within the company. Mm, mm. I believe he is yeah. now happy with all the things that you guys have been doing, or, you know, on, on, on his on his position in a way, but it, at the same time, it's not just about doing something, it's also amplify something further. Yeah, which is very, I mean, I, I really, you know, kind, kind of touch with that, 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 that gesture. And you did mention earlier also about the rethinking food because we, you've been talking about Zaza movement, it's much more like rethinking why we cook. 
So right. rethinking food is much more like how how we eat and also what we eat. And you yeah. know, I, I believe this series is come as well because of COVID. And yeah. and and you know, uh, Pichas is also one of the food operator or business owner. So how does that influence the um, food change? For example, perhaps by packaging, it will be something much more biodegradable, or by using much more vegetarian side in a way. Um, okay, so in Pichas, definitely one big component is packaging um, because we are in a delivery business so definitely a lot of packaging is like going in and out every single day and what we try to do is um recently um if you look on social media we actually try to change our packaging to a biodegradable ones um which when we first started we sort of think that okay should we start should we not start because somehow um, to some people it looks a bit like that fun you know, the kind of um, we still do it. Um, and in fact, the feedback is actually not bad. Um, because at the end of the day, if packaging itself serves as a way to, as a food container, um, and at the same time, we are trying to save the environment, um, people are actually open to the idea. Um, might not be very useful at very first, um, but so far it has been quite good. And of course, as as long as we can, or, or more like um, as many opportunities, we will try uh, to be more environment friendly. Example where things like uh, we, we in, in office itself, we try to do a bit of a gardening and see in the future um, if we can try to have our own small garden, like the edible, more like mm. the garden, mm. um, like herbs, we can at least sort of use it for our, ourselves. And also when it comes to um, things like um, the mini buffet packaging, yes, it is plastic still for now. Um, we have been trying to source, but honestly, it's quite hard. Um, mm. Most of the times, things are from China, uh, which is it's not that cannot, but uh, there's a, quite a big like MOQ, which is one of the challenges. Um, I believe that works for any other food business as well, especially if you're a small food business. And if you talk about um, being environment friendly, um, you need to have a good vendor. That's the starting point. Uh, but we are still trying trying our best to look look for the right one, which I would say, uh, so far in terms of the ready to eat meals packaging, it shows that you know things can be worked around, and we, you always won't take no for the last answer. Always try to look for a better way, a better way um in order to consider about the environment as well when it comes to delivery. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Min, for this right. uh, very fruitful discussion, and but. Uh, not uh, last but not least, I'm just curious. Like, I'm, I would like to invite you to share. Like, what is the next plan? Because you did mention about biodegradable packagings and also, uh, perhaps some herbs garden have like a farm to table kind of idea. But I just I, because you we we've been talking about like refugees boundaries and also these convention, um, laws and things, right? Because. Um, there must be a lot of uh, restrictions to to you to you guys as a business operator too. You know, perhaps wanted to have an idea to have, have a physical restaurant or or build store. You know, but but will will that be part of the obstacles because of this convention? So you can't have a restaurant or you can't have a physical store. Actually, yes, in a way. Um, but how are we doing it right now? So the idea is um. We still do, example, like have a pop-up. So I wouldn't say restaurant is where we are looking at. 
But pop-up is what we always do actually. In fact, it has always been in our plan to have a pop-up like once a month in different places because of course that's more of like a marketing initiative. But also we see potential where example the food can come from the family still. Means essentially the model is the same. So the food come from the family but the server could come from a local community or us ourselves becoming the server. Um, and in a way it is still them actually preparing the food. And uh, it is just a different form of presenting mm. the food, which mm. we have done it several times, and it has been quite good the response. Because sometimes people will be like, "Oh, I I don't really have five packs to order for for a party. I don't really have the occasion to order. I just want to you know like sometimes sit in and eat my meals. Uh, which we understand it's a different market that we're talking about different market. Uh, which is great to explore as well. Mm-hmm. But I would say for the upcoming at least uh. I mean, be, honestly, before COVID, we do have a completely different plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year, initially, we wanted to ramp up our catering because there is a huge potential in what we have been doing. But the truth is, MCO happened. Um, mm. And, you know, like events and everything just, I would say, pretty impossible until for the entire year. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't see a huge market at there at this point. So that's why we are working a lot on the ready-to-heat meals which is like an individual packed meal and um, and once we deliver, we either do three meals, six meals, or nine meals. Means it's a one-off delivery and uh, and we are putting it as a subscription model. Hmm. Um, so it is, I would say it's a completely different ball of game. Um, now that subscription, um, there is like frozen meal and there's individual meal. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what we see we will really be focused on for the, I would say a minimum of one to two years and really to bring this up because uh, subscription is not a very familiar thing for Malaysians. Yeah. Um, I mean, putting aside Netflix, uh, which usually is services that people will subscribe to, but on a physical goods, um, it's something where Malaysians are not very used mm. to. That's why um, mm. I believe there will be a lot of education to do on this, um, which also is quite exciting. I mean, that when we started, we educate a lot on refugees. Um, on food, on Arabic cuisines, and now we educate on different things, which is subscription, which is doing good on on a continuous basis, in a regular basis, and it can be very easy when you want to do good, which is uh, in the month that is coming from refugee. That's it. So simple. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't even need to travel out. All you do is reheat the meals, and you're all good. So mm-hmm. so yeah. So I would say this is what we are going for for the next um next one to two years and we also started um, a marketing arm uh, which is called Zucchini & Co. Uh, what we do with this Zucchini & Co brand is we go out there and engage brands that want to work on their storytelling and social media marketing. Um, so we are their social media agents, we are their marketing team and we bring what we have done with Pichar Eats and what we have seen that works in Pichar Eats to their brand which is a lot on storytelling, a lot mm. on like, um, you know, giving a personality, giving a brand voice to the brand. Yeah, so this is the things that we are working on. Mm. Uh, right. That's actually one of the very interesting things because I, I was about to ask you like the, because, you know, been, been meeting up with so many uh, different individuals from refugees, families, I'm definitely that a lot of people like Zaza, they do have different um, encounters or stories to tell. So, uh, just that, like, when it comes to empowerment, because uh, Pita is has been, like, five years, so, yeah. you know, like, the the family, let's say, mostly they are, like, 
um, parents they they will make the they will be the chef and they they will make the food. And how about the childrens in 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 a longer term? Like, do、mm. they are they limited to staying in Malaysia or they can't have a lot of things to do? Because again, come back to this convention, the kids、yeah. only can afford the the so called、um, non government supported programs to get their education. But how about in long term wise? Like, do they have any other choice? Perhaps they wanted to be a designer. Perhaps they wanted to be a Uh, mechanics or engineer? Is there any path available for them in this case? Um. Yeah. So this is why I mean, essentially, this is why Zuki and Co happen to really build this holistic um support for the community. So Zuki and Co will train refugee youth to be able to be part of um the design um and they will be able to freelance. Not just Zuki, actually, in the future they can also have freelancing work with other community. Other brands as well, so the whole goal is so that they can be part of the gig economy because the true holistic can't really get works、mm-hmm. even though, um, like you say, even though in fact even though some of them do, um, there's a few university in Malaysia that actually take refugee, but again it's a very small number. But even with these, um, graduate from university, what they can get at the end of the day. Um, it's not a working formal working opportunity, so that's again it goes back to um being creative and see what can we do, which is to introduce the concept of gig economy to these kids or these teens, um so that they can see the potential in what they're good at, and then from there they continue to work on it. Which design skill is what Zuking and Co trying to work on, and we will take um. Clients, ah,、uh, which most of the time is on working on social media marketing, um. So there's graphics, um, copywritings, and then we will outsource these jobs to these teams、mm. so that become one of the way that they can get income. Yeah, I I think this also explore another realm of the potential where perhaps like crafts can comes in. I I'm I'm quite looking forward. Is there any chance to see like the refugees? They can actually teach their own language. And then some Malaysians they might quite curious to learn about new language. I'm not sure, but、uh, I think、okay. I think in speaking of、um, craft, even though we were saying that it is pretty much a fast paced、uh, industry, but I still quite intriguing by to see、um, yep. Pakistanis、uh, craft or their own tudong or their clothing's kind of thing to come out. Yeah, yeah. But in terms of craft, um, they actually are a few brands are already doing. Yeah.、Uh, social enterprises like Batik Boutique or uh, let's think. Bate Boutique, ah,、uh, which they actually get the refugee community to, ah,、uh, work on the clothings and jewelries. Yeah, so I would say they are, they are already someone that is, ah,、uh, trying to look into that. Ah,、uh, which if we know someone or like we know that our family are really keen or or really interested in that, usually we will just pass their contact to、mm. the social enterprise because、mm. I mean they are already doing. Um. So what we do is trying to build the connection or like the network and see. Okay, if you have this skill, sewing skill, you go to Bate Boutique. If you、mm. have you know cooking skill, then you can come to Kitcha. And、mm. you have any other skill, let's say in the future maybe if someone is trying to come up IT related ones, then you can go to here. So I would say in this way, it actually is quite good in terms of managing the resources. Um, we just share essentially we share the same pool of contacts because. There's only that many of refugees in、mm. in Kuala itself. Um, but how can we really maximize what we are already doing? Um,、uh, maybe to a larger voice or like maybe 
to inspire more people to to actually come on board and start something and to work out something with the community then then yeah i think that'll be very great as well mm-hmm. thank you so much uh so before that i would like to invite you to share about the social media and where can we get to know more about pictures i believe um apart from the website um facebook and instagram as well right on uh, youtube we're actually everywhere youtube tiktok <laughs> Uh, so far, uh, yeah, that's about it. How right. about the zucchini and co? It's kind of interesting. Is that already officially um yes. published or? Yes, it's really taking off. Um, so I am, I also putting. I mean, I myself also spend quite some time in in working with zucchini and co. Um, so we, I would say we are soft at the starting stage for sure, but we are already taking about twelve clients. And uh, you can also find more about Zucchini Co in uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Okay, cool. Thank you so much. And and before that, uh, uh, do you mind to share one question for our audience to think about? Perhaps it can be a general questions or for yourself or for for me to think about. It can be a pretty. <laughs> it can be anything. The questions. Ah. Okay. Oh wow. Huh. Asking the question, I guess I I would really like to know more like, um, probably what is everyone's perception on building a career in social enterprise? Like, is it something where people will do it? You know, uh, okay, okay. Only I have money, then I will start to look into the social impact. Is that a common idea, or um, or it's actually possible to to look at the possibility of a career through social entrepreneurship? So, mm. This is a very interesting um another kind of business model because a lot of people tend to think that if you wanted to do. Should I say this is much more on charity side, but at the same time, you also can sustain yourself and also, you know, get, get uh, you know, everyone's profitable yeah. throughout the whole process. Yeah. Because I, I believe that you don't want to just keep on doing charity, but you can't sustain yourself. Correct, yes. Which my mom will kill me for. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Right. 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 Thank you so much, Min. Thanks for sharing. And I'm really glad to have you on the line. Uh, I hope you have a great day. You too. Okay. All right.